Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Can you say that with me? Jesus is the bread of life. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a big boy. I like bread. I like bread a lot. And uh, back in those days, bread was a major staple. I don't, I don't know if they had organic things back then. They, everything was probably organic. And I don't know if they had uh, uh, gluten-free bread back then. But uh, I know right now that uh, bread and water were uh, mainstays for those back in those times. But I tell you what, bread nourishes us. Bread gives us energy. Those carbs uh, convert to energy and sometimes sugar in our bodies. But, but some people can eat bread. Some people don't like bread, and that's fine. But for the purpose of the sermon, Jesus is using this. This is an object illustration. Now, from the time I was a teenager, I liked you pursued things in life. Did you pursue things in life when you were a teenager? Yeah, preacher, I pursued things. There was one girl I pursued a lot. And hopefully you caught her, or maybe hopefully you didn't. I don't know. But but either way, uh, we all have dreams, hopefully, when we were teenagers. And I hope for you today that whether you are a teen, a 20, a 30, 40, 50, and on up, I hope you still have dreams because God is the dream giver. And so as a teenager, I pursued many things in my life, and uh, I don't regret any of them because, I mean, some of them were not happy times. Some of them were, quite honestly, painful times. But you know what? For me and you too, you know what we have in common? Everything that we've gone through has brought us to this point in this service, in this sanctuary today. I can't explain it other than it's God's drawing himself upon your life and pulling us together and uh, just... As those things made us who we are, I think about the effort that I put in to jobs that I had had as a teenager. I think about the things I thought at the moment I had to have and didn't last. And that happened even after I was a teenager. In your 20s and 30s, 40s, I mean, just we all have things that we think are going to take us to the end, but sometimes they do not last. Things fade away. Relationships change. Those things that once gave us satisfaction can no longer bring that satisfaction anymore. And so we turn to other things. But at that moment in time, those things were so important to us. Listen, I've been blessed beyond measure by God. Beyond what I deserve. And I'm sure as many of you feel the same way here today. But my question is this. Can you ever have enough? Can you ever have enough? Well, I would say for a lot of us in here, we are content and very happy with what we have. But we could always use a little more, right? But we all are looking for something. It might not be money. It might be health. It might be your relationship. It might be self-worth. I don't know. All of us are different. And, and I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will, will move upon your heart and, and give you that, that prickle in your heart to let you know what, what maybe is not fully filled in your life right now. But as we look at this passage, we see that we can spend our energy on a lot of things. But what I want us to see today in this passage is, number one, we need to spend your energy on the eternal not the perishable. Spend your energy on the eternal, not the perishable. I remember the 
popular bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys wins. My question is, what do they win? Nothing. There are people that they spend all their lives trying to accumulate all this wealth and to take care of all these people and build a name for themselves. And then people sit in a courtroom or a lawyer's office and divvy through it and and cull through it. Why are we working so hard for things that perish? Let's look at verses 22 through 27. He says, The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea knew there had been only one boat. They only knew, or they also knew, that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some of the boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Basically, they were at the shore where the feeding of the 5,000 happened. They saw the boats go out and they saw the boats come back and there was no Jesus and there was no disciples. So they thought, hmm, we need to find this guy. We need to find that group. It says in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, and if you like to highlight or make notes, whatever, underline the word rabbi there. I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. But they said, rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered in verse 26, I assure you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Then he says in verse 27, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. The first thing that we see is that impatience causes restlessness. Impatience causes restlessness. Think about it. In your life, in my life, Some of the times we made our biggest mistakes is when we were impatient. Maybe we paid too much for something. Maybe we let something get out of our hands. Or maybe we just missed something altogether. But but Jesus and the disciples had not returned to the site of the feeding of the 5,000. So they decided that they would go find him. The crowd, why were they looking for Jesus? Not because he was God. Not because he was giving eternal life, but because he was giving them food. That's why they were following him. Oh, and by the way, just as a side note, we see here again that before Jesus met spiritual needs in the crowd, he met their physical needs. Folks, we can tell people Jesus loves them, but sometimes we have to show them. And the crowd is getting ready to receive Jesus' message and mission. But you know what? Frustration happens. You ever been frustrated before when you feel like you don't have enough or you're working too hard for something that's kind of like a a hole you can't fill? Frustration occurs when we search for Jesus with the wrong motives. The crowd was frustrated because they were looking for their gravy train. They were looking for their food. We see earlier in the passage, if you go back and you look at verse 15, what do they call Jesus? They gave him a title. They said, let's make you king. 
And the term king there meant a ruler. They, they were looking for a, a figurehead, a, someone who could be a commander, who could be a prince, that could be a man of the people, someone who could start a revolution. That's what they were, when they saw Jesus, they saw the leader that they wanted. It's like, hey, this is great. Let's do something with it. The crowd wanted power. They wanted prosperity. They wanted to worship the gifts of Jesus, but not the deity of Jesus. They wanted all the benefits without the commitment. Boy, does that sum up our world today. They wanted all the benefits without the commitment of following Christ. And then we see here in verse 25, the crowd wanted to understand this Jesus they did not understand. Remember when I told you to go back and, and underline or, or give emphasis to the word rabbi? Take the word that we saw in verse 15 of king, power, revolution, and now they call him rabbi here in verse 25. You ever thought of the significance of that? Because we see here that their mode has shifted. They have gone from wanting a revolution to by calling him rabbi, that is what Jews would call someone who was a teacher whom they wanted to learn from. So it wasn't give us power, but it was let us understand who you are. But here's the thing. Jesus had no need to explain himself, yet he does in this beautiful sermon called the Bread of Life. And I like it too because Jesus, he called out and he challenged the crowd. If you go back and you look at verse 26, he calls them out on their selfish motives. He says, I assure you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He says, Jesus says, I'm not stupid. I know the reason you were following me is because you want more bread without having to work for it. I know why you're following me. You want a handout. But he's telling them in verse 27, don't work for food that perishes, but food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has sent his seal of approval. I am so grateful, and I hope you are too, that Jesus is not like most of us. Most of us in here at some point or some time have been used by somebody else. Maybe in a big way. Maybe in a small way. But all of us have had people that have either been around us or wanted things from us only because we had it and how we can make them better. And I'm not saying those people are bad people. I am just saying that what is our tendency as humans to do when someone uses us? Trick me once, my fault. Trick me twice, your fault, right? And we write them off. And we're like, oh. Okay, I don't need to hang around this person anymore because all they do is they want stuff from me. Boy, aren't you glad Jesus isn't like that. (laughs) Wow. These people, all they wanted was the show. All they wanted was the bread. And Jesus is calling them on it and he's saying, all you want is what I can give you. But brother, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you something you haven't even seen yet. If you think that God has given up on you, if you think that Jesus has given up on you, if you think you have played all your cards and you've done everything you can do, my friend, you've got one more card. And that is to throw it on the mercy of Jesus Christ. Because he does not judge you from the point of keeping you away from Him. He wants you to come to Him. Because, folks, if you and I truly believe in Christ, 
Not like the crowd of the 5,000. But if you and I truly believe in Christ, we will not follow him for what he gives us, but simply for who he is. Who is he to you? Well, he is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our hope. And as he says here, he is our eternity. He is our all. The second thing we see is that it is far easier to understand the physical over the spiritual. It is far easier to understand the physical over the spiritual. I was uh, reading an article a while back, and uh, we had gone through a book called uh, An Autopsy of Deceased Church, where they, it was a a great book, and it talks about, they took about 12 or 13 churches and, and basically figured out why they died. And nine times out of ten, the churches, when it started getting bad, they started focusing on the facilities. If we can just paint this wall, or if we can fix this railing, or if we can get new carpet, or if we can do something to this building to make it look better, people will come to Jesus and because people could understand something physical that they could see. All the while, every drop of money was being poured into the building. Missions dried up, and then finally... They died because they had the wrong emphasis in the wrong place. But they could understand the physical. And you and I today, we understand when we wake up in the morning, whoo, my hip hurts. Man, my back hurts. My knee. I've had all these things going on. Or or we can understand when we look at the checkbook, whoo, I got more bills and I got money this month. What am I going to do? Or we can understand when the boss calls us into their office and says, we need to talk. We can understand those things. Those are happening to us. But do we really understand the long game of spiritual life, of what we need for spiritual nourishment? It says in verses 28 and 29, what can we do to perform the works of God? (laughs) What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. They had the audacity to ask Jesus, how can we make bread for ourselves? Isn't that sin? personified when is the last time you said God let me do it myself every time you tell him no to what he's prompting you to do every time you become too busy to spend a little bit of time in his word every time you decide to take it on your own to to wear this burden on your own rather than giving it to him you're doing the same thing I'm doing the same thing when we do that show us what to do so that we can do it ourselves. So that we don't need to depend on you, is what they were saying. And he says, Jesus replied, this is the work of God. And this is the one thing God wants you to do. He said, don't worry about the fish. Don't worry about the bread. Don't worry about what you're going to put in your stomach. But worry about this. The one thing that God wants you to do is to believe in the one he sent. The reason for the miracle... The reason for the storm, the reason for this sermon, we are about to see in in full-blown glory, in full 3D. Folks, life is unpredictable. But trying to control your life and the life of others only brings stress, fatigue, and hopelessness. Don't try to be your own God. Don't try to handle it on your own. 
Because when you do that, you place your will on the center of your life, and that becomes an idol. You know, everybody thinks when they, they, they see the Ten Commandments and they see that there is no other idol before God, that's not just these other religions that we see and all these figurines and cults and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes the biggest idol in the middle of your heart is you and your will. Sometimes there are people that will put their family before God. There are people that will put their church before God. There are people that will put money before God, whatever it may be. And he says, there is nothing that you should put before me. So don't try to control your life on your own. Because focusing on your physical life over your spiritual life is self-devastating. It's destructive. And it's hopeless. I got news for you folks. And it's for me too. You and I we cannot be our own savior. Nor can we replicate. What Jesus does in our lives. Anything that we have from Jesus. Is from his hands. And yes I mean. We need to work hard. We need to, we need to be family people. And we need to do our best. And we need to have a, a good strong work ethic. Because that's supported in the Bible. But taking credit for things God has given you. Is a dangerous mantle to place yourself on. He says in verses 30 through 31. What sign then are you going to do. So that we may see and believe you. And they asked. What are you going to perform. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And I put down here, seeing is not always believing. Here is why we are at this passage today. This is why the 5,000 were fed. This is why the disciples were put in the midst of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. To preach this message, and here it is. He was preaching to the Jewish people. And he said, you remember the story your ancestors told you about being in the wilderness And manna, bread, coming from heaven. I have just showed you in a real way that I am the bread. Because he goes on to say here, he says that that Moses, you think Moses is the one that gave it to you? It was God. I think of uh, among the Jews, it was believed that the Messiah would replicate the miracle of the manna from heaven. And that the Israelites enjoyed their that the, the Israelites enjoyed the bread in the wilderness, and so they, they thought the Messiah coming would replicate that. And they, like us, wanted to see a miracle they could believe in. I got a, an illustration for you. I hope you can get it, and I hope I can get it right, because it made sense at the time. You ever seen calf roping? You know, the guy, woo, 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 and the, the little calf runs out, and they rope it, and then they jump off their horse, and they tie the legs together. They say it doesn't hurt the calf. But I don't know if they, I, I wouldn't want them to do it to me. I can see myself running, that guy, you know, trip me up and tie me up. No, thank you. But anyway, it's a sport and it's a thing. And I find it amazing that a rider on a horse can lasso a small calf and tie up its legs and stand, it on, stand up and raise their hands and say it's done. But folks, to many, their religion is like that. Are you making your church and religious experience fit your life or are you open to molding your life to his what do I mean by that the religious are the cowboy 
They intend to take everything that God does, everything that happens in their church, everything that happens in their life, and every scripture that they read as they try to apply to their situation, instead of them reading the Bible and getting the points that they need for life, they should let the Bible read them. And so, too, for too many people in the religious that, were, that Jesus was encountering, they were trying to manipulate and rope Jesus into something that they could understand. But yet, true Christianity is not the rider on the horse. If you're a true Christian, you're the calf. Rope me. Tie me. Bend me to your will. And wherever you take me, I will trust you. Coming to Jesus, expecting him to fit our wants and desires is not faith. What is faith? Let me show you this verse real quick. Hebrews 11.1 says this, that faith shows the reality of what is hoped for and is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Folks, for true faith, you're not always going to see the end result. And then we see the third thing is that Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is more than enough. Look at verse 35 through 40. He just goes out and he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. I want you to understand that he's not talking specifically about physical thirst. He's talking about spiritual thirst. I can remember back when I was not a Christian and I can remember that chant, that, that feeling of being incomplete, that there was something missing. That Have you ever been so thirsty that even one bottle of water is not going to work? I mean, there's, there are times when you're outside and you're, you're active and you get that cold bottle of water. I don't know about you, but even the tall ones, I can down in a heartbeat. I mean, when you get that thirsty, whoo, it's gone. And then you're like, where's the other one? Where's the other one? And then more and more, you want more and more. But folks, let me tell you something. When I had a taste of Jesus Christ, when I had a taste of the Holy Spirit, and when I found out that my life was wrecked without Him, I had been raised in a form of religion. I had been to church. I was an RA. I had been baptized. And I was lost as a ball in tall weeds. Until finally, Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit, truly came into my life. And I tasted that living water. And I never thirsted for anything again. Let me ask you something. If the, if the, the Holy Spirit and if what Jesus Christ offers us is so good, why would we want to turn back? I have no desire to live the life I used to live. Do you? Do you want to go back to that feeling of not understanding what's going on and that feeling of just despair and not being satisfied? Now listen, that doesn't mean I wake up every morning and I go, Whoo, I'm going to just give me a little drink of that Holy Spirit water. Now everything's going to be great. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. You know, it's not like that. There are days that are going to be tough. There are going to be days like Jacob where you have to wrestle with God. And there are going to be days to where you don't have a full bowl of water, but there, there might be a trickle there. And then there are other days where the water's going to be there and you're just not wanting to drink it. But I'm telling you this, folks. I have no thirst for anything other than Jesus. Only Jesus Christ can quench 
that thirst, my friend. And every one of us, you can see this on the TV. You can see this at concerts. You can see this at football games. We are wired to worship. We want to wear jerseys. We want to shout for our team. We want, to, we want to listen to the music of that celebrity. We want to watch the movies. We want to find out what's going on with their lives. We want to, you know, I know none of you look at those old magazine rags in the checkout aisle, right? You just look at the cover and re- read the points, right? But either way, we all are looking for somebody, something to put on a pedestal. Don't believe me? Ask the Israelites who thought God was taking too long and they made a golden calf. There are a lot of golden calves. In the world today. But my friend, let me tell you what. The bread of life will satisfy you like nothing else in this world. This was the reason for the feeding of the 5,000. He says in verse 37 through 40. Every, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me. I would underline that. I would proclaim it. I would remember that. He says, I will lose none of those that he has given to me. And also I will raise them up. On the last day. What do we see in that verse? We see eternal security. To put it more bluntly. Once saved. Always saved. What did you do to earn your salvation? Tell me church. What do we do to earn our salvation? Nothing. The Bible calls it a gift. So there is nothing we can do to earn it. There is nothing that we can do to lose it. We are in God's hands. Now I will say there are a lot of people thinking they are saved, that aren't. I'm telling you, when Jesus Christ comes back, some churches will still have high attendance day. Because they have got religion, and they do not have Jesus Christ. But we see here, for those of us that love Jesus Christ, He has come into our life. He has changed our life. He is the bread of life. He is where we get our food. He is where we get our nourishment. That we are secure in His love. That that blood that was shed was permanent. And that one day, the sky is going to split and we will be reunited with Him again. That is what this is saying. That is the promise that Jesus is laying out for them. I mean, this is huge. Then He says, Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Me may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. He has just told these Jewish people that I am the bread of life, and if you believe in Me, you will have eternal life. All of this was an illustration of that. All of this could be summed up in John 3.16. But for bread to benefit us, we must consume it. For bread to benefit us, we must consume it. But if life gets... Some of you might ask, but what if life gets tough and my faith... Starts to waver. I want to tell you to read verse 39 one more time. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those 
he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. That means as a believer, you will have a bad day. You will have moments of weakness. But you can be secure in the fact of knowing that you are in the hands of a God that will not let you go. You know what that means for people that are Christians? That now when you try to get away with things, it's not as easy. <laughs> now, I, I never forget talking with parents. Oh, my son is driving. My daughter's driving. I said, yeah, I bet your uh, paralyzed being encouraged. Or, you know, my, 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 you know, you see the parent putting their kid or either driving them to school in their car or putting them on a bus for that first day of school. Oh, so nervous. It's like I tell people, and I've seen in my own life, for Christians, understand this. The Holy Spirit goes with them even when you're not with them. That's why it's important to raise kids in a Christian home and to teach them that hopefully one day they would come to know their faith in Jesus Christ. That is why we do Vacation Bible School, is to get the Holy Spirit in the lives of these children and their families. But understand that you are secure and you will not be overcome. Let me show you one more verse. Philippians 1.6. And this is a very popular one. I am sure of this, that he, not you, he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Man, I tell you what, I cannot stand driving up 85 right now. Have you, have, have you driven through there lately? I mean, you will be, I mean, it'll be a parking lot. And it'll be that way for 15, 20, 30 minutes until you finally get up where everything started and there's nothing there. It's like, where, where was the backup? I mean, what's going on here? And I mean, there is literally half of it is road cones. Am I right? And those tall walls, that if you get in the left-hand lane, you have this big wall zooming by you. They're always working on that road. But my friend, God is always working on you. There is a man at work in your life. Whether you know him or whether you don't, he's working on you today. And it's him who started the good work. Him who will complete it until Jesus Christ comes back. And for those that have the bread of life, Jesus says it brings eternal life. So I would just conclude with this, that Jesus is more than enough to meet whatever needs you have today. And I'll end with this question. What are you seeking from Jesus today? Some may be seeking self-justification. In other words, I don't want to change. I don't want to give my life to Christ. I like it just like I like it. And it's Burger King. I want to have it my way. Okay. But you'll never be enough. You'll never have enough. Maybe you're looking for salvation. Maybe you want to be saved and have eternal life. Maybe you want sanctification. What is it? That's a big church word, sanctification. That just basically means maybe you want to be holier. You want to do better. You want to confess some sins in your life. You don't need to come to me to do it. You can do it right where you're at. I mean, how, how can we? We cannot be in the presence of God without Satan reminding us of how bad we are. Every Sunday morning, I sit in that chair and I look at you folks, and y'all look so beautiful every day. And I think in my life, you're not worthy to be here. And then I have to just say, Jesus says I'm worthy. Salvation, sanctification. Maybe you need strength. Or maybe you need security. 
Whatever it may be. He offers it to you today. If you'd like to talk to me, I'll be down front. If you'd like to pray to receive Christ, uh, we can lead you in that and we can disciple you. Maybe you want to join this church or just come to the altar. Whatever it may be, whatever decision the Lord has placed upon your heart. Come forward today and don't let the world take away whatever God is doing with you right now. Because once you walk out the door, it does not get any easier. If God is calling upon your heart, respond today. Would you please stand?